I want to talk to you today as we continue our series here and uh, um, about the the uh, get here Kim Kim will get up here about the, the the promise of an intimate pattern of prayer. We've been talking for a while over oh, just what it's like as we get older in the Lord and we've, we've looked at a number of different attitudes and things that can distract us. You know, remember we talked about how urgent over the important and uh, we talked about how it's easy just to get com- comfortable and not want to learn and grow anymore and uh, when God always has a hill with a better view and we've talked about a number of things. We talked about how that God has called us to be priests that as, as Christians he, we, are, uh, we are a holy priesthood in, in the Lord and that when you think about being a priest that means that you're the mediator between God and man and so therefore as a priest you are, your, your prayers, your actions your acts of goodness your Christian testimony uh, God is using that as the only hope for a lot of people you're the only hope for a lot of people your, your, your love of the Lord, your testimony about Christ, your prayers for them, your acts of goodness, your loving kindness to them are people's only hope. And so we under, we've learned about that too, how God calls us to be a priesthood, a holy priesthood in Christ. I'd like to talk to you today about the promise of an of, of a intimate prayer life with the Lord. Because we, we saw from the book of Revelation how that God collects our prayers and that the Apostle John saw them and they were mixed with the fire from the altar of God which symbolizes his power and then they were flung back to the earth. In other words, to enact or to put into place God's will on the earth. Our prayers mingled with God's power come back to the earth to touch people's lives. That's what we saw. We saw that in, I think, last week here. So I want to continue here and talk to you about the promise of an intimate uh, prayer pattern uh, of, of prayer. And I'd like to use a scripture here to, for our, our lesson today from Matthew chapter 6. Here, if I can get it up there, Kim, you might have to... Oh, I better turn it on first. There you go. It's my fault. Uh, there. Okay. When you pray, Jesus said, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them, I tell you the truth, that is all the reward that they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. And then your Father who sees everything will reward you. And when you pray, don't babble on and on as Gentiles do. For they think that their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you do ask Him. Lord, as we look at this scripture today, and as we consider this, what Jesus is trying to show us, the, the, uh, not just the, the mechanics of prayer, Lord, but the spirit of the Father toward us. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to to have a witness in our heart that the Holy Spirit is saying this is true. This is right. Listen to what God is saying. I pray Lord that that we will, will continue to grow in your grace that even as we get older in you, that, that we won't get bored, that we won't stop growing, but that we'll always continue looking forward, looking up to something new you want to reveal to us from the, from the Word. I pray that uh, this pattern of intimate prayer that Jesus has, has shown us that is our, 
is our gift, is, is our privilege, that it will become, Lord, more, more of a reality to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was about seven years into my pastoral ministry. That would have been back in 1987, last century. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit surprised me with a, a further understanding and a clarity of the ministerial calling that God had placed upon my life. <clears throat> um, I had not sought this calling, actually, just lately. You know, I had not sought the calling of the Lord. I, I was not interested in being a pastor. I wanted to be a, I, of course, I love the Lord. I wanted to be a Christian by all means, but I was on the road to becoming some sort of electrician or involved in electricity, some, something like that. I really enjoyed that kind of thing. And, um, but I was at youth camp, and I was 16 years old, and the Lord had uh, just very, very clearly uh, placed a conviction upon my soul, and it was uh, one of those convictions that I couldn't deny was real. I couldn't deny that God had spoken to me, and about being a minister, about being a pastor. I tried to sneak out of it. Now, I know that doesn't sound too noble of me, but I did. I tried to sneak out of it. I tried to say, well, you know, I was going another direction. And, you know, I'm not really sure fully, you know, although I was, um, <clears throat> trying to convince myself. Um, but the Lord wouldn't let up on me. He wouldn't let up on me at all. Uh, the devil tried in a few ways to sabotage that calling in my life. Uh, first of all, by an, a, an emotional attachment to a young lady who was not even a Christian. And the Lord had to, say, he had to slice that out of my life for sure. However, there were, uh, each trial, each scheme of the devil laid out in my path uh, to trip me up, God just kept me from falling. He just was able to hold me up. Uh, and uh, from, kept me from falling away from him. And during the first seven years of my ministry, after I graduated from school, I asked the Lord three times if I could please do something else. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I, uh, it seems crazy to me now, but it, it wasn't crazy then. Because pastoral ministry was hard. It's disappointing. It was discouraging. And things didn't work the way you planned a lot of times. And sometimes it was difficult working with people. And, and sometimes people weren't very kind. And they weren't, uh, they weren't very easy, you know. They just weren't, didn't act like Christians. <laughs> now, that, not in our church. That's those other churches I pastored, you know. Uh, <clears throat> it's such a struggle, though. And I remember uh, all three times I asked the Lord if I could get out of this. Uh, the last time he told me no, he told me no every time. And the last time, it was kind of a stern no. And kind of like to say it this way, don't ask me this again. You know, and so, I have not. <laughs> I have not asked him. I, I so appreciated that it was just after that that the Lord kindly gave me further clarity. Again, I'm seven years into my pastoral ministry after I graduated from school. He gave me further clarity about what he expected me to be doing with my pastoral calling. And I so appreciated that so much that, that, that he had placed upon me. God clearly informed me that I was to help make his church more beautiful for his son. Now, I really appreciated that. I thought, nah, yeah, okay. That, that's, that's a commission. I, I had never heard that during my ministerial training, and that's not, that's not discrediting my teachers or anything. They were great teachers. But that was a, something that really helped me that 
the Lord said, I expect you to help make my church more beautiful for my son when he returns. I was a helper to be prepared for the return of Jesus and for the marriage of the, of the Lamb of God. And in other words, that she would have on clean white, a clean white wedding gown, not soiled with sin and worldliness. And he helped me to see that God deeply loves his church and all of God's children are works of grace in progress. And so don't get frustrated with them when they don't act like me. Don't get frustrated when they disappoint you. Don't get frustrated when they're unkind to you. They're works of God, my grace in progress. So a pastor's task is to help the bride of Christ to cast off sinful practices, to grow in a holy knowledge so that she will act accordingly in a world of ungodliness. That's what a pastor does. That's what he's supposed to do. He also showed me that as a member of this same bride of Jesus, I was included in this sanctifying process. <laughs> that I was not perfect. And I made mistakes. That sometimes I erred too. I needed forgiveness from people. Just as, they, as I needed to forgive them. And that I was a member of this body and that I was a work in progress as well. <laughs> he showed me my life must be an example of learning uh, more about Jesus and more about the Word of God. My life must reflect, he showed me, uh, repentance. My life must reflect humility. My life must reflect weakness at times and faith and growing in that Christ-likeness. Uh, my life must reflect his love and holiness. And it, in other words, he showed me that I must be the first to wash my wedding garments. I must be the first one in preparation for the return of Jesus. I must reflect that godly change. Over the years, I have preached a number of times on the importance of learning to pray in a meaningful manner. And Jesus said, it's possible to pray incorrectly. And we just read about that, didn't we? He said, it's possible to pray incorrectly and in an unmeaningful manner. It's possible to pray, it's, it's possible to waste your time praying. Did you know that? That's what Jesus is telling us. You can waste your time praying. It's not all prayer is right. Not all prayer is heard by God. Jesus said, like the pagans pray, like the Gentiles pray. They, they, they don't pray in a meaningful and in a correct way. But once Jesus taught us that God is a good father and he wants us to understand how very much, how very much he wants prayer to be a blessing to us and not to feel like it's a, a weight we have to do. It's some sort of discipline we have to do all the time. He wants it to be a blessing to us. And somehow... We're not getting it. We don't always get that. It takes us a while to learn that. And I think that's what the Lord's trying to show us today. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 6, he said, Jesus said that God values hearing you be yourself. He values you being yourself. Um, it's hard to be yourself when you're trying to show off in public. When you're trying to, you know, pretend to be something you're not. He wants you to get alone with him and shut the door and talk to him as yourself. He wants you to, you know, um, it's a hindrance to you 
if, if you're trying to be, if you're not being honest with him, it's a hindrance to you if you're not being yourself with him. He wants you to be humble, to not try to impress anybody, but to learn to be alone with him and learn to be honest and humble and submissive and committed to being with him in private. Committed to being with him in private. He wants to reward you. He wants to reward you with an intimate pattern of prayer. He wants you to learn what that is. Uh, he wants you to unlearn some unhealthy patterns of prayer that you've, you've just keep falling into and that make prayer such a burden, such a struggle. And he wants you to learn a new pattern. You know, he said prayer is not like pagans think of it, merely going through the formulas of a lot of words. And no, prayer is an intimate friendship with your Heavenly Father. He, he's not looking at you my friends, uh, with, with, uh, with critical eyes, he, he's ready to, um, he's not ready to pounce on your every failure and your every error. No, God, he looks forward to rewarding you. Jesus is giving us that, that, that spirit in this, in this teaching here. He said he looks forward, God looks forward to rewarding you as you seek him according, again, to pray, praying how Jesus instructed us. In fact, he promises to reward you. But once Jesus uh, showed us something here, he showed us uh, just not the, again, the, the technical mechanics of prayer, but the heart attitude of God toward us as we pray. He's trying to show us this is how God thinks about you when you pray. Uh, I'm, kind of, I, I'm sorry, but I think at times in my zeal in my younger years as a minister that I'm sure I caused God's people to feel shame and guilt. Um, at their failure in prayer instead of encouraging them with a hope that God patiently looks at every effort at prayer and applauds us as we endeavor to learn how to do it better. <laughs> and I'm sorry about that. As a younger man, I heard elderly pastors um, talk about the growing importance of prayer in their life as you get older. It seemed like prayer and these elderly pastors just seemed to be getting more and more important to them. And I would listen. They, they shared that with me. I didn't know if I understood it fully, but they, they, I think I'm understanding it now. Um, it's as if they were saying, with all the important things that we do in church ministry, uh, for, for them, uh, prayer began to take on a higher personal priority. Not that prayer hasn't been a serious part of God's people. I mean, it's been a serious part of the church, of course. Uh, so I'm not discrediting that at all, loved ones. I tell you, I've seen God do some amazingly miraculous things in answer to a desperately praying church. But I tell you, I've seen some desperate prayers before from a, from a church body. I tell you, I've seen pr people pray pretty hard and desperate, like, God, if you don't help us, we're sunk, you know. Um, I'm sure you have too. I tell you, I've seen people healed, I mean, not just pretend healing. It was real healing. Really. I, I have seen people saved. I'm not just pretend saved. I'm coming to the altar and praying a few tears and then going out acting the same way. No, I've seen people really, really saved. I've seen people flood the altars before. One time I saw the whole church body just, just flood the altar seeking God to intervene in their lives. I've seen people sit and listen to the gospel being preached and get so mad, so angry that they left angry. But they couldn't stay away. They had to come back and hear a little more. And they'd get angry again and leave. And then they'd come back and 
and finally say, I got to give in to Jesus. Wow. I've seen some amazing things through, through prayer. I've seen some fantastic things happen. You know, I, it's, um, I've seen people just suddenly stand and say, I knew the glory was here this morning and just burst into tears, saying, I needed this refreshing of the Lord. I've seen some amazing things happen to a desperately praying church. Yeah. So I'm not discrediting that we never have been praying church at all. But, you know, in the, in the, in the beekeeping world, um, beekeeping world, <clears throat> there are two types of people who handle bees, who deal with bees. And, and uh, I think I might have mentioned this to you before, but I just want to remind you of this. That there's two types of people who handle bees. There's, first of all, there's the, the bee haver. The bee haver. Now, haver is not a word, so we just made it up. Okay, so there, there it is. There's people who have bee colonies. They have, uh, they have uh, hives. Uh, they may even have a large, uh, maybe they have maybe even, you know, 10 to 20 hives. Who, who, who knows? They, but uh, they're, they're what we call bee havers. They, they simply possess hives. Uh, they simply have them. They, they don't get much involved in learning the intricate details of working with bees to, to see them reach their productive potential. They just bought some bees, they bought some equipment, they put it out on their field, they put it in their orchard, whatever, and they just, they just stay there. That's all they do. And they, and they just kind of stand back and just watch them from a distance. They never get involved, they never go to any, any kind of bee meetings, they never read any books on bees, and they just kind of, okay, they were put in there, and they just don't get involved. They don't, they don't go out and check them, they don't, uh, they don't uh, um, maybe they're worried about getting stung or something, but bee havers have maybe just a little knowledge of bees, but they lack the commitment and passion to grow in the wisdom and skill of becoming a beekeeper, you know. Uh, bee, beekeepers are, are different. Uh, beekeepers, uh, and uh, you know, there, there are beekeepers, and this, my Becky will never become. Uh, neither will she be a bee haver, by the way. <laughs> she says, that's nice that you like that. You go out there and enjoy that, David. Um, beekeepers are those, though, who are willingly, they're willing to seriously, listen to me, commit actively learning how to manage bees. Uh, they admit that they need more knowledge and they make mistakes. Beekeepers get stung. They don't like it. They try not to get stung, but they get stung nonetheless because they are involved out there with sometimes some bees that aren't very happy with them involving them being involved with. But uh, they humble themselves and they learn, the beekeepers do, from other experienced beekeepers. They listen to other beekeepers who have, better, have more experience and they humble themselves and say, hey, I need to learn what you know. And they practice and they learn from their mistakes. They, they, and they read about becoming better at being beekeepers. They keep check on their hives. They make adjustments and they do their best to help their bees stay healthy and productive. They, they do their best. Now, loved ones, there's nothing morally or legally wrong with being a beehaver. There's nothing wrong with that. If you want to be that and you want to do that, you're not committing some sort of a sin or you're not going to go to jail. It's just that there's not much success in it. Are you listening? There's just not much success in being a beehaver. 
You don't, you know, you, your bees, they just don't accomplish much for you the way, you, the way, they, the way they could. And it's just um, a behaver has very little confidence due to the lack of knowledge and wrong moves. And many times it's, it's, it can be very discouraging always seeing your bee ventures end in disaster. Now, you wonder where I'm going with that? Well, prayer, prayer is like that to us. Prayer is like this to us. We can use this as an example. Prayer can be like that. Many Christians practice prayer to a degree, but they are just this. They are Christians who pray. They're a Christian who prays. They're like a beehaver. I pray once in a while. I pray. Yeah, I pray when, you know, I, I pray. But they're not involved. They don't know really much about it. They don't know, you know, they might pray at their meals. They might pray on Sunday. They, you know, they, they don't make a regular practice of it, but they, it's not excluded from their life. But they're kind of looking at it from a distance. They kind of, they're Christians that, that pray. All right? It's, uh, that's all right. Um, they, you know, they, uh, it's kind of an add-on, if you will, in their life. It's kind of an add-on thing. Like behavers, they they don't they don't see much enjoyment in prayer because they see so little success in it. It's just kind of a discipline I do. Now, okay, I got that done. We can go on with the next thing, and that really matters in life. Then there are those who are praying Christians. Again, there's Christians who pray, and then there's a praying Christian. That's like the beekeeper. They endeavor, a praying Christian, they, learn, they endeavor to learn how to think correctly about prayer and cast off the improper thinking. I don't want to think that way about prayer anymore. I want to think the way Jesus is teaching us to think. So they, by trial and error, they, 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 have, um, they, they come to learn to pray where it's like breathing to them. Just as easy as they breathe, they easy pray. They've learned to know Jesus like that. Like beekeepers, they're, they're hands-on, if you will. So you can be a Christian who prays, or you can be a praying Christian. Does that make sense? Jesus said, get all alone with God and pray. What do I say, Pastor? Well, Jesus said, don't say fancy words. Don't try to impress God. Be your, your respectful self to your Heavenly Father. And realize that he is happy to hear you. Realize that. You may not be thinking he's happy to hear you. You might think this is just, I'm getting this, getting through this. You have to unlearn that and say, the Lord wants to hear you talk to him. Well, I don't know how to talk to him. You have to learn how to talk to him. You have to learn. You have to be, you have to learn to pray. You have to learn. It doesn't come natural to you. You have to learn how to do it properly. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach us. And so it means, you know, just like you get, you involve yourself with, you know, if whatever hobby you might have, if you want to do it well, you have to get in there and you have to learn how to do it. And this is the, the same way. Uh, um, and Jesus says, don't say fancy words, be respectful, uh, realize that he's happy to hear you and begin just innocently and simple. You know, think of one or two things. I'm just going to give you a little guideline that's very simple. Think of one or two things that you really appreciate about God. Think of one or two things that you really appreciate about Him. Um, you know, it could be what He's done for you. Then ex 
express to him uh, your displeasure at your shortcomings. Now, admit to him, say, Lord, I know I, I fail. I know sometimes I fall short in what I need to be and do. And would, you, would you forgive me for that? Or, you know, uh, express to him those things that you know that aren't right with your life. And, and uh, ask, ask him to, you know, uh, help you to keep your eyes on the cross. And ask him to help you to trust his forgiveness. And then, and then stop and be thankful for a few moments. Be thankful. And then, and then pray for others. Not everybody in the world, but pick out one or two people to pray for. There's a little simple acronym to help you begin being alone with God all by yourself. And we've heard this over the years, but we probably have forgotten it. But it really is a very good guide, a, a, a little guide pattern for us. It's called Acts. You know, you begin simply alone with God, realizing that He's happy to hear you, and you just simply adore Him, first of all. Tell Him something you appreciate about Him. And second of all, you want to confess those areas where you've faltered. Maybe it's your attitude towards somebody. Maybe it's, who, who knows what it could be, but something that you know, this isn't right. I, Lord, would you forgive me for this? And, uh, and trust Him to do it. Trust Him. And then, then thank Him. Express thanks to him. You know, and then lastly, there's always something to pray about, some requests, su supplication, acts. It's really a very good pattern for us to learn to pray, to learn how to get into the habit of being alone with God. Loved ones, the older I'm getting, the more this conviction is growing in my heart that, that prayer is the top most honor God grants us in our salvation to Jesus. In, in Jesus. And the devil and the world do their best to steal the honor from, from us by making prayer seem just simply too hard and even depressing to us. Just opposite of what God intends. God intends just the opposite than what the devil lays on our minds or causes our thinking to gravi gravitate to. And I didn't fully see this in my younger years. But as I've walked with Jesus over these uh, last years, I, I think I see it now. I think I see it now. Um, God keeps track of our lives. He keeps track of our deeds. By all means, we know that from the, from the scriptures that we'll give an account of our lives to God. He keeps track of that. But you know what? I think the Apostle John was trying to tell us in the book of Revelation, God mainly keeps track of our prayers. He keeps track of our prayers. That prayer is so important to the Lord. Because it's a communication between him and us. And he wants to be happy. He wants us to be happy with him and him happy with us. He wants that joy connection. Jesus is trying to tell us here. He, Jesus, he, wants, that, he wants that joy connection with us. Amen? Amen. He keeps track of our, of our prayers. Our prayers really matter to God because it's our intimate connection. It's our intimate connection to him through our faith in Jesus. I want to just remind you again, the, power, the, the Apostle John saw that our prayers are collected like incense, like a sweet fragrance being mixed with the fire from God's altar. And those prayers are flung back to the earth to affect the will of God upon those we pray for or the situation we're, we're praying about. Think about that. Think about that. If we never learn intimate, that, if we never learn the intimate prayer patterns with God, much is left undone in the lives of those that we love. Hang on with me for just a few more moments.
I can hear your stomachs grumbling. Growling. Did you hear what I just said though? If we never learn the intimate prayer pattern of prayer, uh, with, with God, much is left undone. Much is left undone in the lives of those we love and we influence. Because our prayers are being collected by God. The Bible says, the prayers of the saints on the altar, John saw. If that is true, and it is, then we should endeavor to see that this ministry of prayer is an opportunity to be a part of God's actions on the earth amidst our family, amidst our friends, amidst our church. It's our prayers that God keeps track of. A praying Christian just doesn't happen by accident. And let me close. Now, just because I said that doesn't mean you should check out yet. Please listen, okay? I know how it is. I, I sit down there too. Listen to somebody else, you know. A praying Christian does, just doesn't happen by accident. It's on purpose. A, a beekeeper doesn't happen by accident. It's on purpose. It's on purpose that they know so much about beekeeping because they do it. They, they learn it. They get involved in it. Becky and I realized many years ago that a loving marital relationship doesn't happen accidentally, but it actually it happens deliberately and intentionally. And even more than that, or I should say in addition to that, it happens expectantly. A loving relationship, a loving marital relationship happens expectantly. You know? We expected each other to take time, to take energy, to focus on being together. We expected that of one another. We made a commitment to one another. Now, honey, I expect you to give me time. And she would say, well, it's not so much me, it's you, David. I expect you to give me time. Yeah. Convictions falling on all the men now, okay? Um, but we expect each other to take, to take time and energy to focus on being together and loving each other by getting to know each other better and better. And we have expectations even now of one another. Um, you know, when we err, we expect to forgive one another. When we, you know, we're not against one another. We're not, we're not working against. We're, we're, a, we're a team. We're, we're one flesh. We're, we're in the Lord. And so therefore, we to be intentional loving one another and learning to know one another let me close with this last thought meaningful intimate prayer with God takes determination to unlearn bad prayer habits and to relearn correct thoughts about God but I want somebody to tell you it is so worth your effort to do it I can say that having a loving marriage has been so... It's, is it, has it been work? Oh, you just better bet your bippy it has been. It has been a lot of work. I'm not kidding you. It's been a lot of work. And I've worked harder. <laughs> no, just kidding. No, no, no. It's been a lot of work. It is. Sometimes you feel like all I do is fail at this. I'm always asking you know, for forgiveness. And sometimes I, I, I try to change my habits to enhance our relationship and I can't get out of that pattern of, of not taking enough time or always getting sidetracked. And it's, but it's worth it when you can change and then do the right thing. It's amazing the blessing and the way the Father wants to reward you. It's so worth it. I'm going to tell you. 
Many things can try to sabotage your noble effort, but you have to determine to stick to your pursuit of not only one another in marriage, but also your pursuit of a good, meaningful prayer life. As your pastor, I just want to commit to seeing this reality in my life. I, that is being, I want to be a praying Christian. Not just a Christian who prays. Who experiences that, that, that intimate prayer with God that is, that is as natural as breathing. As natural as inhaling and exhaling. And I think God smiles upon any, anyone who would want to avail themselves of that high honor that comes from that of our salvation to become a praying Christian and not just a Christian who prays. Prayer is not just a discipline, loved ones, but actually God intends for it to be an adventure. An adventure. Amen. I hope that you will take up Jesus on his offer to learn how to pray in a way that the Father says, oh goody, in a sense, oh goody, they're praying the way my son taught them to pray. I'm so ready to hear them talk. I'm so ready to hear them express themselves and just in a simple, innocent way. And not, not to take an hour, two hours, just to take, the time doesn't matter. Just to take that time, take that moment and express yourself to God like through the acts that we talked about. And then Jesus says, the Father is happy to reward you. Amen. I hope that you'll take up the challenge too. Let's go eat. Amen. Let's stand up together. Let's pray for our meal. I hope you'll be able to stay and uh, enjoy this time together. Lord, thank you so very much for uh, your word to us today. Thank you so much for encouraging us to be, Lord, uh, not just Christians who pray, but praying Christians. And Lord, we, we thank you for Jesus and just how he so clearly taught us about how to make connections with you. Thank you for his loving kindness to us today. We pray your word will just open itself up to us and make our minds blessed and, and help us to think clearly about the truth. Lord, I pray for us here today that we also will, will just take a, will just step out and learn, even though we may not do it very well, God, at first, but just to go ahead and determine that we're going to do what the word says and become praying Christians. And you'll reward us. Thank you for the good meal we're going to enjoy today. Thank you, Lord, for everyone who has provided it in some way. Lord, either by purchasing it or preparing it. And we thank you for the abundance that you give us that we can enjoy such wonderful food and also such wonderful company today. Thank you for your loving kindness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, everybody. Let's go, let's go enjoy some good food together. <laughs>